Ecclesiastes chapter um, 12. And while you're um, finding your place there, let me just encourage you to, on uh, your way out today, grab some tracks, grab uh, uh, some gospel tracks. Uh, and if you're married, you know what? Maybe encourage each other in it. You know, like say you're going for a drive-through, and it's something so easy to forget. Um, but maybe say to your spouse, hey, you got to have a track, or I have a track. Can you give this um, to them? And uh, just to have it be on your mind um, continually, to be soul conscious. I was talking to um, Corey Mears, one of the missionaries um, that spoke at the flight camp that Solomon really enjoyed speaking to. And, He's like, Dad, you need to have him come preach here sometime. And um, he was pastoring in Wenatchee. Uh, he was a missionary in Fiji Islands um, before, then came to pastor, and he just resigned this summer. And he's going to go back to the mission field, um, to um, different places, and encourage churches to be more involved in missions. But he's going to go back to Fiji, go to Zambia. Um, and Cameroon and some other places. He's going to be kind of more going helping out with short-term um, projects. Sometimes it'll be kind of permanent, but it won't be forever permanent. But just trying to um, help get preach pastors trained um, in, in those places or just kind of help inspire missions there. But he mentioned a thought to me that's a pretty sobering thought. Um, put yourself in a place of a church state Jerusalem. The first church, uh, it wasn't. It didn't start in Rome. You know, like the Catholic Church says, the first church Jesus established with his apostles in Jerusalem. But Jesus died, he rose again, and then you have the church in Jerusalem meeting in the upper room, praying. And let's try to put ourselves there to imagine that we, Napoline Baptist Church, it is the only church in the world. And missions depended upon our church. Global missions. Reaching the world for Christ that all depended on our church. You know, we wouldn't be waiting for another missionary to come from another church to visit us to help raise funds to send it. We ourselves would be responsible with the power of the Holy Spirit, of course, but we would have to be the voice for the world to know of Christ and to escape the pains of hell. How would we maybe treat missions differently? We were the only church, and it all depended upon us getting the message Think we would be trying to get more involved, trying to get more tracks out, trying to be more of a witness, telling people about our faith, that there's no one else, only our church had to get the message out. We wouldn't be waiting again for other missionaries to come here to raise funds. We would be one to send people out from our church. You know, it's never a pastor's most exciting time when someone um, leaves the church and moves and stuff. You know, pray for um, Caleb and Justina. They're from another church in um, Kelso area. And so, but they're praying, seeking the Lord. They have a good, solid church 
um, home there, but live locally here. And like the pastor there told me, he goes, um, I'd be lying if I wasn't selfish and just wanted to keep you here and stuff. And you know what? Past, and I don't think it's really pastors trying to be selfish. They just got to be involved in their life, got to see them grow in the Lord. But you know what's a good thing? It's to see people leave and starting either new works or being involved helping another church um, plant. Um, uh, but being a help, being a blessing in serving someone. And so again, we would miss people that we sent out to send someone to start a church in a small place of Beta. You know, that would be taking away stuff from here. Okay? They would be going somewhere else. It would affect many things. Their tithes, their offerings would go to the new church plant. Um, their service, say if they were teaching a Sunday school class here or a deacon, they'd be going on there. But that's what we're to do is multiply. We see that in the church in Jerusalem, God allowed, enabled, brought providentially the persecution to the church. What for? To scatter them. The church got comfortable. They were, they were together, they were meeting, they were praying, they were having preaching, but they were staying put. And God wanted them to scatter around the world. And then what ends up happening? It says that with their teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus Christ, they turned the world upside down. And that's what we want to be. We want to be seeking um, to be able to scatter us, to spread each other out, and to pray, you know, is it I, Lord? that God would maybe be calling? Would it be perhaps you that God would be calling to a mission field um, elsewhere outside of Napa? We're all called to be a mission field here in our own community. How much more we would have to do that if we were, were thinking if we were the only church there was that was responsible for getting the gospel out? Now, thankfully, we have an abundance of riches of other local churches teaching and preaching the gospel but just think of every single church had a mindset what if missions depended just on us and they took more of a proactive um, response to getting the gospel out think more souls would be saved more people would be baptized more people would be added unto the church and know what that enables that enables to multiply more Okay, you know, there's more people to serve in the church, more people to possibly be sent out, more financial resources as the church grows, and more ways to be involved in our local community and abroad. A trio like this, if we were the only ones, we're not, we're not the only right church, thank God we're not. Um, any church that says they are, you know, they, they're likely going to be a cult, okay? They're trying to be just to be a disciple after them. But we're to be disciples after the Lord Jesus Christ. But just think about that. That's not even a message today. Okay? So we haven't even started yet. Like just think. Missions were all dependent upon you. What would the world look like five years from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now? How many people would be reached? Now obviously you couldn't reach every single person. But by the people you reached, they could then reach other people. And so I think about that church in Jerusalem, but ever since the missionary mentioned that to me, that yeah, missions depended on that church 
get in the gospel hour. Being filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Soon in the flesh will get burned out. But doing in the power of the Spirit, there'll be joy, there will be fruit. Right? Ecclesiastes 12, are you there yet? That was just to give you time to get there. Because I know it's hard to find. But Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 10. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goats. Used to think that was go as. Uh, and might say it that way on accident. But just learned this morning when I was going, I want to make sure how I pronounce this word, and it's goats. Okay, so if I say goats, just please forgive me, it's been in my mind. But the words of the wiser is goats, and is now fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further, by these, my son, be admonished of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. So every pastor's favorite verse right there when people think, oh, the pastor doesn't do anything but studying. He's not a laborer. Well, you know, right here is this weariness of the flesh with much study. Now let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. The words of the wise are as goats. Goats, as you see in the picture on the screen, um, they would help the ox stay going forward, to stay on the proper path. It would be a long pointed stick used for prodding, guiding the oxen while pulling. Um, when the Bible talks about um, Saul, when Jesus said, Why um, does thou persecutest me? Um, thou kickest against the pricks. Um, is another word for the goats. And it's like trying to kick back against this pointing spear that keeps on trying to prod you. And so Jesus was saying to Saul, You know what? The spear is convicting you, but you keep on kicking against it. And so, but God would have his will in his way and, and bring conviction upon Saul. And then eventually Saul repented and realized the one he was persecuting was the Messiah he had been waiting for. And then he would go on and God would use him. But the goat, the goat would be used um, to guide. And then we see it talks about the nails firmly fixed. Um, that the words of wise provide moral and intellectual stability, like nails firmly fixed. And ultimately, though, this is wisdom given by one shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, our chief shepherd. That just as nails are fastened to give some stability, and goats are, are used to um, help guide, we are guided. By Jesus is one shepherd. And we see this mention, fear God. You know, a society wants to really get us to think, oh no, we don't need to ever have any kind of fear of God. That God is just all loving. 
But over and over and over in Scripture, you'll see the caution, fear God. Now that doesn't mean that I need to go and go hide in the corner and trying to hide from God. As we saw with Adam and Eve, when they tried to hide themselves, God knew where they were. You can't hide yourself from God. And uh, now for the lost, those that don't know Christ, they may feel like trying to hide from God in that sense. Okay, well, God is also called our Father, and so, you know, there's a healthy fear that children should have of their father. Not in the sense of they're always afraid of their dad, but the Bible talks about how they that fear the Lord depart from evil. You know, a child fears being disciplined, and so they have a healthy reverence, respect for their father. It doesn't mean there's no relationship. It's not that God is some um, cruel alien out there that just wants to bring destruction. And you see that Congress is now talking about UFOs. We found that there's no intelligent life in Congress, it seems like. Um, I think we've already known that um, for a long time. But you know what? It started to make me think. You know, I remember preachers preaching, and I kind of thought it was a little bit silly, but people, preachers would preach about how um, when the rapture happens, it's possible that people are going to think people are abducted by aliens. And that's where everybody went. Now you see Congress talking about it, and saying they recovered the body and everything, and makes you think, hey, maybe that'll be how it goes. We won't know for sure tell. It happens, but... It looks more and more like a possibility. But fearing God, what does it mean to fear God? Solomon's final word on the issues raised in this book, Solomon wrote this, that he focuses on one's relationship to God. Um, unbelievers are going to stand before the great white throne judgment, and they will be judged based on their works because they have no faith um, to save them. And their works will show that even their righteousness are as filthy rags. You just think about their sin. How much filthier that is if their righteousness is called filthy rags. And so no one will get to heaven by their works because it will show that as the word of God concludes, all are under sin. Now as that they're saved, We'll be judged according to our works too, but it's not going to be to try to earn salvation. Just like they, the Bible says, if righteousness could come by the law, then it would. But because the scripture has concluded all under sin, no one can earn salvation by their works. But there will be the judgment seat for believers, but it will be... Um, the Bible talks about there's wood, hay, stubble we might um, offer unto the Lord, which gets burnt up if it was tried by fire, or jewels, precious stones, that they abide um, through any kind of fire. They're more purified, and so as believers will be judged by our works, not for salvation, but for other rewards or to fill dishonor, because our works were not pure before the, um, the Lord. Um, when all is said and done, the certainty and finality of retribution given a life, 
The meaning for which God gave is oftentimes foolish. Son Solomon, he's considered wise, but there were times he was foolish when he allowed the woman to take his heart away from God, the many wives and concubines that he had. Um, but he ends up coming to a conclusion in the latter part of his life. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Talks about the making of many books, there is no end. As well, the writing of books, given the limitation of human wisdom, the quest for knowledge is never satisfied. Um, again, every work will be brought into judgment. But how do we define the fear of God? Defining the fear of God. I'm going to put the next screen up, but don't make the bottom line pop up yet. What are some ways you would define the fear of God? No, don't read that one, or this already so. Maybe already so. Yeah, I think it did. I guess I already gave it away right there. But thinking of the fear of God, the continual awareness that God is watching and weighing every one of my thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes. Thank you. If we lived our life realizing that, Having a continual awareness that God is watching, that He is weighing every one of our thoughts, our words, our actions, and our attitudes. It will change how we live our life. And that this is the fear of the Lord. Again, this doesn't mean that we don't have a relationship with God. He's our Heavenly Father. We absolutely do have a relationship with Him, and we love Him, and He loves us. But just again, as a child, they want to please their parents, and so they want to do what's pleasing in their eyes if they've been taught and trained and disciplined accordingly. The judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10, says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he have done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. So here we see the Apostle Paul saying, we know the terror of the we, we know he is the God that is the God of love, but also the judge. And he says, knowing this, this motivates us in new evangelism. This motivates us to tell others about Jesus Christ and their need for him as the Savior. Hebrews 12, 28. I'm going to mention several different verses. They're not going to be all on the screen. If you want, you could write the reference down and get to them. Um, quickly, if I wait for everyone to turn to them, then we'll go really long and we'll try to avoid going super long, just a little bit long. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 says, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. We should have reverence.
for God's word. Reverence for God's word. To tremble at God's word. Isaiah 66, 2 says, For all those things have my hand in me, and all those things have been said of the Lord, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, come up in humility, and tremble up at my word. They read God's word, and there's a sense of trembling, of like, oh wow. Being awe inspired and taking what God's word says seriously. Look, many of you maybe saw it on the media, of course the media wanted to exploit it, um, but it definitely did show the flippancy of Christianity today, where a congresswoman was joking about um, fornication. And so now it was someone that was married, you know what, the joke maybe would have been, been, been funny. But she was taking fornication lightly. My understanding is she's somewhat newly saved, um, but was making a joke out of it. Instead of making a joke out of sin, we ought to tremble regarding what God's word says about sin. You know, people that say, you know, you can't judge me, only God can judge me. That should be more fearful than a saying that flippant. To understand God is judge. God is the judge, and so we should tremble more than just what other people's opinions are about us. We ought to have reverence for God's works. Ecclesiastes 3.14 says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it, and God doeth it. That men should fear before him. And we see the works of God that he does. He establishes Man can't stop God from doing what he's going to do. And, and that should be that we should respond in having a fear of God. That what God says in his word will come to pass. When the Bible talks about consequences we'll face in life because of sin, to have a fear for that and recognize that God means what he says. Psalm 2.11 says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Seems like oxymoron. You have rejoice and you have trembling. It's a trembling of awe and, and just being inspired by God and being amazed of Him. It is a fear conjoined with love and hope. Not like in Islam where it is only a God to be feared. That um, every step you do, you know, you're going to be judged. Um, and we are going to be judged you know, before everything we do as far as our actions. But thankfully in Christ, we're able to have any condemnation erased. As we follow Christ, that we're able to have forgiveness. Where all that offers no forgiveness. But God in sending his son made a way for forgiveness. And so we should have reverence for his forgiveness. Not to take his forgiveness casually. We ought not to have the mentality of like, oh, I know I'm about to sin, but I'll just confess and uh, confess my sin to God tomorrow. Oh, we shouldn't treat forgiveness so casually. We should reverence for His forgiveness. 
Psalm 134 says, But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. So not only do we tremble at his word, we hope in his word. But his forgiveness is there that he may be feared. And you know, you imagine, you know, you commit some great fault to someone, and you feel great guilt and shame about it, and you want to try to do anything you can to make it right. Sometimes it can be simple things like, you know, you borrowed a car and you crashed their car. And you have a, maybe a sense of fear and um, the next time you see them and you don't want to really have to explain it, but you plead or you hope they're being forgiving. How much more of God should we have the mentality of, you know what, not taking his forgiveness lightly. Not taking it for granted, but appreciating it and honoring that God has forgiven us. Psalm 33, 18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waited for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our hearts are rejoiced in him, because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us, according as we hope in thee. Does anybody have a lighter on them I could borrow? None of us are smokers. All right, praise God for that. Amen. And no one wants to give it up in, in case they give it then. But anyways... A lighter. If you think about a small lighter, I meant to bring bring one down here. Um, I don't smoke eaters for camping and stuff. Uh, it's easier than matches. I would easily use the light. But you know, can you imagine? You know, I asked one of the kids to come, and I put the lighter on, and and then uh, the fire. Um, I tell, just put your hand above. Which child do you think is going to volunteer to go? Yeah, I'm going to do that. Probably not any of them. Okay. Probably not any of them. Titus says Ezra, I probably would. And I guess he did. Um, he was part of Solomon's experiment before. Um, what was that he put on the um, sanitizer on his hand? And he goes, hey, come here. I watched this video on YouTube. And you put sanitizer on your hand. And then you light it on fire. And it burns right there. It burns the alcohol and the sanitizer. But your hand doesn't get burned. There he goes. Oh, here you go, brother! Lights it up! Ow! 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 There's a reason he didn't want to do it to his own hand. Okay? And my son was at least smart enough to do that, just not smart enough to trust um, a YouTube video. So I guess you're right, Titus. Some people would be willing to put their hand in the fire. Um, but you think about fire. It can be used for good, it can be used for bad, it can cause destruction. You can stay warm with it in a campfire or in the house in the chimney. You can cook with fire so you can feed your family. You can roast marshmallows. Not that I like marshmallows. It's like, it's like my kids don't like marshmallows generally here, but they all want s'mores. It's just part of the experience. 
even though they're not necessarily super tasty, or you just gotta make the combo just right. Maybe have some chocolate peanut butter um, and Reese's instead of um, regular Hershey's chocolate. But you can use fire to produce light. You can use it to melt and conform things, to shape things. You can use it to destroy garbage. Uh, uh, or you can see a fire like this, like it's going on in the North Cascades right now, just destroying the wildlife there, or the wildlife trying to escape, the trees, the bushes. It's causing great devastation. Fire could be used for you to cause much good or it could cause much destruction. Bring devastating consequences if it is not respected. If there is not an element of fear and care taken when you start a fire. Sometimes these happen from a cigarette butt thrown out. Oh, maybe not most of the time. I've seen lots of cigarette butts thrown out, seen in the car from me, and no fire started. If it's hot enough, hits maybe some oil, hits some vegetation, and the wind, it could cause great disruption. Or it could be someone's allowing a campfire to get too big. They're being careless. And so, it's not that you're afraid of the fire when you start the campfire, but there's this respect for it. There's an element of fear that you know that if this gets out of hand, it could be destructive. And understand our God is a consuming fire. That he is a God of wrath as well as a God of love. He's to be respected. He's to be revered. When we truly fear the Lord, we recognize His authority over our life. That He's the potter. That we are the clay being molded after the shape of His will. That He's the master and we are the servants instead of we being the master and God just bends to every wish that we have. That you often find in the charismatic movement where they just think God's their magic genie and that God's going to do everything that they tell them. That's not scriptural. Yes, we do see God answering prayer, but there's a different mentality between that kind of movement and where like Jesus said to the Father, nevertheless, thine will be done. Now, even though he's our master and we are his servant, there is also a closer relationship for the Christian, as he is our father and we are his children. And again, yet even with that relationship, there's an element of fear. The attitude will manifest itself in our having a respect for God, his word, and in our having a desire to do what he tells us in the scriptures. We can relate to this kind of fear, again, as the child has for his parents. It's the, if the right kind of fear is present, the child knows that there will be consequences for disobedience. Yet that child knows that his parents sincerely loves him or her. He knows that their parents won't ever want anything to be done that would cause them great harm. 
To put it simply, the fear of the Lord is a deep-seated reverence for God that causes men and women to want to please Him at all times. Mary, the Queen of Scots, made it her practice to visit the people. She was so loved by the people there that she often mingled with them freely without a protective escort. One afternoon while walking, um, with some children, she went out further than she planned, and dark clouds came up unexpectedly. So she stopped in a nearby house to see if she could borrow an umbrella. Given when she didn't have her security detail um, with her, she was just traveling in the midst, looking as a common person would. And, and, and then she knocked on the door, and says, if you will lend me one, could you, uh, do you have an umbrella I can borrow? I will send it back to you tomorrow. The woman did not recognize the queen and was reluctant to give her best. She found one. It was kind of weird, kind of tattered, um, kind of falling apart. The fabric was torn in several pieces. One of the ribs was broken. Um, but... The queen was still thankful that she had something for some level of protection. The next day, another knock was heard at the door. When the lady opened it, she was greeted by a royal guard who was holding in her hand, in his hand, um, her old tattered umbrella. And he said, the queen sent me to give this back to you. She asked me to thank you for loaning her this. For a moment, the woman was stunned. And then she began to weep. She said, oh, what opportunity I missed. I didn't give the queen my very best. Sometimes we live and we talk like we don't know who the Lord is there. We have no reverence for the Lord by our lifestyle at times and giving him our best. Oh, how much greater is the king of queens than kings than any queen on this earth? May we desire to do all things with excellence for him and desire to please him. Genuine fear of the Lord is always seen in obedience to the word of God. People who do not walk in line with God's word do not fear the Lord, regardless of what they may profess with their lips. There are blessings of fearing the Lord. <clears throat> blessings for fearing the Lord. Sometimes we think about, you know, the commandments of God are just to maybe make us not have fun. For the Bible says that the commandments of God, of God are not grievous, but are for our Benefit that God has the commandments for our good, for society's good. And there is likewise blessings in fearing the Lord. Psalm 128 says, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. Right there, a promise that we will be blessed if we fear the Lord and walk in his ways. Some ways that we are blessed is with knowledge and wisdom. Proverbs 1 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. We, by default, make wiser choices in life when we have a healthy fear of the Lord. When we have that reverence, we have that respect for God, we will make wiser choices. It's the beginning of wisdom, it's the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord motivates us to be holy and to trust in Him. Proverbs 3, 5, 7. Many people maybe have this memorized. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lead not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. I think it's very important that God played it here. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Because sometimes mankind thinks we know better than God. They you all know, the Bible's a little bit um, outdated. You know, like, you know, the movement, you know, love is love. But you know what? No, you know what? We need to not be wise in our own eyes, but fear God. What does God say about sin, whatever the sin may be? Proverbs 16, 6 says, By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, man depart from evil. Anyways, parents that don't ever discipline their children, they're teaching them not to have any respect for any kind of Police officers, you know, all the riots you saw that's gone on, right, just went on last week. They have no respect for authority because the children were never taught to respect their parents. And they never have learned to respect God, to have a fear of God. So when you fear God, you're going to fear doing evil. So you know he's looking, he's watching, and you know he knows what's best. For us. Second Corinthians 7 1 says, Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Person who truly reverences, respects the Lord as he should, will not want to do anything that brings disgrace, dishonor, or pain to the heart of the Lord. The Bible talks about how the Spirit of God can be grieved. May it be our heart's desire that we don't want to grieve the Spirit of God. People who genuinely fear the Lord will flee from evil instead of make a mockery of their sin. Job is a great example of what the fear of the Lord will produce in your life. Job 1 8 says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that fear of God and eschew of evil? Means hate evil. He hates evil. He was a perfect upright man. He was a complete, balanced man to love the Lord. The fear of the Lord means you will hate evil. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. We fear God, we're going to hate evil, we're going to hate pride, hate the arrogance, and they're going to have a humility. 
Another blessing the fear of the Lord brings is a prolonging of our life and, and an abundant life. Proverbs 14, 27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. The different traps that show up in your life, when you fear the Lord, you're able to depart from those. Proverbs 10, 27, The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. So often you see those living and righteous living in their sin, their lifespan is shorter. And those that are honoring love serving the Lord typically live longer. Now it's not a blanket promise because any number of things can happen along the road of life that can take us out of here in an instant. Someone dies as a child in a car accident, that doesn't mean they didn't fear the Lord. So don't take those kinds of things that mean someone's not following God. God is providential. He is sovereign. That um, God can allow different things or be involved in lives. The Bible says that sometimes um, that the righteous perish and no man lay of it to heart, that they are taken out of the way to keep them from the evil to come. Sometimes God has taken lives to keep them from some other evil that would come in their life. However, generally speaking, those who live in the fear of the Lord are more likely to live to a good old age than those who live for the flesh and the world. Again, this doesn't mean some die as martyrs around the world for living for Christ. Many human illnesses can be traced directly or indirectly to fear of man. Sorrow, an abundance of sorrow, doesn't mean that a Christian ever has sorrow in their life. Of course, you know, you have a loved one pass away, there's some sorrow. But someone that just lives in sorrow or envy or resentment or they're just always in sin, so they're always feeling guilty. Uh, or they have hatred in their heart, or any kind of number of emotional stresses, or the awful pain may be caused by alcohol to the liver or tobacco with um, lung cancer and heart disease, or sexual immorality um, that could bring any kinds of sexually transmitted diseases, including HIV AIDS. The sinful lifestyle is hard. Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. It brings on its own consequence. And we can see that a life living the fear of the Lord with obedience to his word will result in a much healthier and longer existence. Another blessing from fearing the Lord is it just simply makes our overall life better. Proverbs 15, 16 says, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. The fear of the Lord brings security. Security. Proverbs 14, 26 says that the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. We trust in God, there's a security. If someone loses their job, oh, it could be fearful. But you can have your security in Christ instead of in your job. The security of peace that passes all understanding. 
When we're walking in the fear of the Lord, we can have confidence that God is on our side. Um, and it'll be most we need to um, be concerned with, are we on God's side? Romans 8, 31 says, What shall we then say to these things of God before us? Who can be against us? The world rises against you. What do you have to fear? You have God on your side. If God is for you. Who can be against you? The person who's walking in the fear of the Lord is living by the book will likely have fewer feelings of insecurity, abandonment, and fear of other things. There will be far fewer times when salvation is doubted. The fear of the Lord produces a strong sense of security and close fellowship with the Father. The fear of the Lord also produces satisfaction and peace of mind. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. See, it's a peace of mind they're able to have, that they're able to be satisfied. We see again with Job's walk in the fear of the Lord, it brought a haste of protection from God in his life. Even Satan recognized this. In Job 1.10, Satan says, Has not thou made a hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. Satan recognized God. Reason Job is said, cursing you as he who's blessed them with too much. You take care of them, you give them a place to be. He is growing in you. He, he has an abundance. You give him this security. You give him this place of refuge. That's why he won't curse you. But you take all of that away, and he'll curse you. So he thought God allowed that hedge of protection to be removed, except for the taking of his life. Even his wife, in her discouragement, prudence, seeing her husband suffer, says, why don't you just curse God and die? I don't, I don't think she was saying that to be spiteful in the sense of why, you know what, Joe, you know what, just curse God and die, we hate God. I think she's saying it more from an attitude of heart of desperation, not liking to see what her husband is going through. Um, and just in her own insecurity, is saying, you know, why don't we just curse God and die? So this will be done and over with. Job says, thou speakers is a foolish man. And he would retain his integrity before the Lord, that he even said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him, yet will I trust him. God gives a hedge of protection to those that fear Him. And if that's removed, that's in God's providence for God to do other things in your life. Another blessing is no lack to those that fear Him. God takes care of His children. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye His saints, for there is no want to them that fear Him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they seek the but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. And they're not going to lack. They're not going to suffer from all this loss. God provides for His children, just like a father and mother do what they can to provide for their children, even in hard times. 
Exodus 1.21 says, And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God. Okay, the midwives over to you, they were told to kill all the male children. But instead, they helped expedite the birth. And she said, you know, the Jewish women, they're more lively that, that they just give birth quickly before we can get there. See, they feared God more than they feared the king. More than they feared Pharaoh. And what happened? It came to pass because the midwives feared God that he made them houses. God gave them protection. God gave them security. God had homes built for them. For trusting in God and doing what is right over what is wrong. And it's not uncommon today in employment, in the workforce, where there's the pressure for people to do wrong or to go along with what is wrong. And we need to be willing to take a stand at times. To be willing to do what is right. Fearing God removes the fear of man. The fear of man, the Bible says, is a snare, is a trap. Oswald Chambers said, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Psalm 56, 4 says, in God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. When you have that respect, reverence for God, you're not going to have the insecurity of what the world's going to do to you. Generically, it brings great blessings. Proverbs 22, 4 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Now, the fear of the Lord will come upon all one day. But it is your decision today to live either in the fear of the Lord now or not. God's long-suffering, the Bible says he's long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. God desires for all to come to salvation. He wants to offer his salvation. He's offered his salvation to all, but he's given us a choice to respond to his son by grace through faith. God says, kiss the son and live. Kiss not the Son, and will be angry that the wrath of God would be upon us because God's offered the one and only way for salvation, and we've rejected it if we reject it. Walking in the fear of the Lord is going to have to be an individual decision. No one can make you do it. You know, there are so many times, sometimes for my own children, and sometimes I wish, oh, I wish... I could have helped them not make this mistake. But when you, sometimes you give them counsel and they still make that mistake. Like, oh, I wish I could have just did it for them. But if we look back, you know, maybe honestly in our own life, we've made so many of the same kinds of mistakes or different mistakes. Sometimes it's our pride thinking we could do it better. It's just more that God's given us wisdom over time, and that's why He's given parents to children. So that way you could help guide and help them learn that sometimes by not listening to counsel, they do suffer the consequences. So the decision to live a life that is ordered around the holy, reverential respect for God is a decision that you must make for yourself. To fear God. 
No one can make you, the preacher can't make you, the sermon can't make you, a sermon may encourage you and edify, exhort you to fear God, but it needs to be a response from you. You read Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 23, and you see that the Bible talks about these people had no fear of God in their eyes. They just did wickedness upon wickedness. And it won't be well for those who don't fear God. Ecclesiastes 8.13 says, But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which there is a shadow, because he feareth not before God. Life on this earth is temporary. You don't fear God. You don't get saved. You know, the fear of God brings salvation. We realize, well, we're sinners and we need the grace of God. A life live in the fear of the Lord will demonstrate before others. Um, it will manifest itself as a testimony. If you fear Him, then you will want to honor Him in everything. He will come first. It's easy to see those other people who walk in the fear of the Lord. No, he sees on the street, no church is a priority coming to the Lord's house. Prayer is a priority in their life. Reading the scriptures, um, they want to tremble before God's word and grow thereby, but desire the sincere milk of the word as well as the meat of the word. Um, what God has as a priority becomes a priority to them. The Lord's way becomes the way they choose. And the Lord takes pleasure in those that fear Him. Psalm 147, 11 says, The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear Him, and those that hope in His mercy. Now you compare a life that is lived outside of the fear of God. It's easy to see in people's lives as well. The, lives, the things of God will be secondary or last. Other matters will consistently be placed ahead of the Lord and His will and His work. This kind of life is usually filled with more trouble and trial. Now don't get me wrong, just because someone's having a trial does not mean because they don't fear the Lord. And we see that, you know, Jesus said, you know what, this man was born um, blind, not because of his sin, not because of his parents' sin, but that the glory of God would shine through. So don't always equate trouble and trials is being punished. Sometimes it's purifying. Sometimes it's just part of being in a sin-cursed world. But those that don't fear the Lord are going to have much more trouble in their life. There is more heartache and disaster in a life lived outside the fear of the Lord. You have someone that doesn't fear the Lord going through an illness and a Christian going through the same illness, and the unbeliever responds differently. They don't have the peace that a Christian would have. They don't have the joy. It's more as, woe is me. And I'm suffering. I'm struggling. Why would God allow this to happen to me? And the Christian is like, God, I don't know why it is happening. But you know, I want to honor you. I want to please you through this. Help me to be a light to the nurses, to the doctors. There's a different response. One time many years ago, we'll close with this. The king of Hungary found himself depressed and unhappy. They usually go together, don't they? Depressed, usually unhappy. Uh, he sent for his brother, a good-natured man, but kind of indifferent. 
uh, um, and he was a prince. The king said to him, I am a great sinner. I fear to meet God. He started to feel guilty for some things he's done and he's handled in his life. But the prince just laughed at him. Ha <laughs> ha you heard God, what a joke. This didn't help the king at all, of course. Um, though the king was a believer, he had gotten a glimpse of his guilt for the way he'd been living, and he seriously wanted to repent. He wanted help. He wanted to have peace. Because, you know, we have served God um, rightly if we're in sin. We can fear God and want to turn from it. But the fear of God, when we are doing right, brings peace, brings joy. In those days, it was customary if the executioner sounded a trumpet before a man's door at any hour of the day, it was the signal that he was going to be led to his execution. The king sent the executioner in the dead of night to sound a faithful blast at his brother's door. Talk about a cruel joke. But he did it. Can the executioner go before his brother's door, the prince realized before what was happening, quickly dressing, he stepped through the door and was seized by the executioner, and he was dragged and was all trembling into the king's presence. In agony and terror, he fell on his knees before his brother and begged to know how he had offended him. What did he do wrong? He said, my brother, if the sight of a human executioner is so terrible to you, shall not I, having previously offended God, fear to be brought before the judgment seat of Christ? That will change how you live. And again, this does not mean a fear of God in the sense that you're living your life insecure all the time, that you're just wondering, I understand, some churches just always preach the fear of God, and people just fear everything. That's not what fear of God does. The fear of God makes you not fear everything else. Okay? It's not of waking up one every day and being like, oh no, is God going to kill me? It's not. Well, somehow, you know, the Bible says there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. He's our Heavenly Father. He cares for us. He loves us. But there ought to be a fear of God, a reverence for Him that will help guide us just as the um, goats with the oxen and prompts you to keep going back towards on the right path. You don't want to kick back against the prick. You want to keep following that one shepherd as he guides us. Fear of God brings us not a total being afraid of life. God gives a peace that passes all understanding, but may we have a healthy fear of Him, and may that guide our living. Let's pray for a time of invitation. Dear Holy Father, as we gather before you, or have gathered before you, may we ask you to examine our hearts. Is there any wicked way in us, Lord? We ask that you would purify us to make us holy again. 
And though the fear of the Lord is the choice we have, we definitely have the guidance of the, and the promise of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit through those that are in Christ. And the Spirit of God helps us to do what is right. That this, your Holy Spirit guides us in all truth. It affects our conscience. And may we follow our conscience as it follows the prompting of your Spirit, which teaches us in all truth, which is the commands of the Word of God.